Welcome to this conversation. I'm your host, Teresa Keller, and my guest today is Tasha Foy. If you are interested in the topic that she's going to be talking about, you can go to her website. And I just want to tell you that one of the things it says there is let's start a revolution. Welcome, Tasha Foy, to this conversation. Hi, thanks for having me. What's the revolution? We're going to start a recycling revolution. Um, you know, recycling in our community is is not easy. So um, we, we're trying to make it easier for folks uh, in the Bristol Abingdon areas to uh, get their recycling taken care of without having to drive around to four or five different places and sort and drop off everywhere and just try to simplify. I started to say we're going to start a revolution, but it seems to me like the revolution is because everything is terrible and we're all going to die <laughs> unless we figure out how to do something about recycling. And apparently it's going to take a grassroots revolution. How big is the problem about recycling? I mean, the problem's twofold. One, one is it's simply not easy. You know, the municipalities in our area um, have, have some challenges. Uh, it's expensive. Is, is a challenge um, in our area and, and most of our um, you know local governments don't have the the funding or the extra the extra fund money to do things like recycling um, over the past five to seven years it's gotten harder um, China stopped taking a lot of our um, recyclable materials we had to start looking a little harder for the the facilities who actually are going to recycle the material and so it just got uh, it got a little more complicated in regions like ours. Big cities still have great recycling options because they have the facilities right there to handle it. It's the more you know rural or even suburban areas that have a, a little uh, more of a challenge. Um, you know, we have to sort things and load them up and ship them off, and um, all those things cost money. So a lot of our municipalities over over the past you know even ten years, um, you know, stopped accepting materials for recycling. And as things dwindled, um, you know, the regular folks at home didn't know what to do with to do with their things. And that's really kind of <laughs> how we started is, you know, we were recycling in our own home. It, it was kind of a, it was a chore, right? It was an extra chore. Um, it's full and nobody, you know, neither my husband or I wanted to full taking it. And you had to stop at three different places to drop cardboard somewhere and paper somewhere and, you know, plastic and metal. and um, and so we thought, you know what, we can't be the only people who's, who's annoyed by this, you know. And so I, I guess an idea was born. And um, so we started um, a curbside program. Um, and, you know, we've we've been around 13 years, but it's very grassroots. We've, we've never even really done any paid advertising. It's all been, you know, word of mouth and, you know, friends of friends, et cetera. And, you know, we just started, uh, you know, collecting the recycling it started with maybe a dozen people and we sorted it ourselves and just had to make one trip um, instead of, you know, each person having to make a trip. You know, we just kind of consolidated efforts. And then, at, of course, over the past you know, 13 years, it's grown. And now we, you know, pick up for several hundred people and small businesses. The concept hasn't changed. Uh, you know, it's just gotten a little bigger. So now, you know, we have to take it to a small warehouse and uh, sort the items by material and, um, you know, still have to take it to different places. Um, but it's really consolidating the efforts when you have one truck driving around, picking it up um, and taking it to the places instead of four or five hundred cars, you know, driving it all around to places. So 
you know, aside from the recycling, we also feel like it's better for the environment to have, you know, one vehicle instead of hundreds, you know, driving to the recycling facilities every you know, week or two. And mostly a challenge because of where we are. You know, we just don't have the, we don't have the big facilities that larger uh, cities have. So we have to work around it. You know, when I visit family in other cities, you're talking about bigger areas, and it's so convenient. They just put plastic in one container in the home and yep. then they pick it up. What's That's the okay. name of your business? Revolution Curbside Recycling. Obviously, pretty self-explanatory with the curbside recycling. Um, but the revolution, obviously, is because we, we really want to um, kind of create that that revolution, get people thinking, get people um, you know ready to make a change in their household and you know do something for the environment. Let's talk about the kinds of things that you accept, because I think a lot of us are very confused. What do you take, first of all, and how so, do we know that we're giving you the right things? We take the you know basic household waste, cardboard and paper. Those are your easy ones, right? Um, cardboards, cardboard, papers, paper. You can, you know, cardboard, cereal boxes, things like that. Um, those all fall into the paper category. And that's kind of your easy one. Metal, also pretty easy. You know, you have, you know, steel cans, your soup cans, food cans, um, your drinking aluminum cans. Also pretty simple. <laughs> it's plastic that does seem to uh, cause, cause a, a ripple effect sometimes. So back in, I think it was the 70s, they thought that the plastic industry um, thought they would be um, cute and added the little triangle with the number to you know all your plastic materials. And so one of the biggest points of confusion is that does not mean an item is recyclable. No way. Those triangles. Correct. The- it is very um, strange. It's confusing. It does not mean it's a recycling symbol. It is just the resin code. So that little number is telling you what type of plastic the material is. It is not telling you it can be recycled. Different areas can recycle different different plastics. Um, so three, number three, number six, and number seven can almost never be recycled. Okay. Um, there there are some specialty you know recyclers out there, but none that are widespread or or you know that's not going in a curbside bin here in Bristol or in New York or a big city or you know three is PVC. Um, which is, uh, you know, bad to recycle because it lets off bad bad fumes and things anyway. So it's just not a good material. Six is your like styrofoam, which is not recyclable. And then seven just means other. Well, that's helpful. <laughs> it, yeah, it just means other. So it's usually mixed plastics where they've used more than one type of resin to create whatever uh, the material is. So like sometimes like children's toys, things like that are going to be a seven um, because it's got more than one type of plastic. Switch to what you can recycle, right? Those are the important ones, right? Uh, the one, two, fours, and fives are typically recyclable, but not everywhere. So for our our business, we can only accept number one and number two. Um, and our recycling goes to Eastman. Um, so Eastman developed a a new process. Um, I'm not going to get into detail because I'm not a science person, um, but it, it breaks the plastic down to its original mo- molecular structure, and then they can reuse it to make a new product. Wonderful. So currently, Hooray for them. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and it's a great, I mean, obviously with them being in our backyard, 
um, that's been really great for recycling here in our local community because it gave us an option. Um, we were having to take plastic a couple hours away to get plastic recycled. So this was huge, um, you know, for our region to have something, you know, semi-local here that can can handle recycling. So most of your household items, your, you know, obviously your bottled water and soda bottles, things like that, your shampoo bottles, um, most of those things are ones and twos. So I would say probably, I don't know, maybe 60 to 70 percent of what you would find in your household is a one or a two and you're able to recycle it through most curbside programs. Fours, fours are your thin plastic, like paper, uh, plastic bags, shrink wrap. Okay. Um, that's it's a low density polyethylene. So it's not collected in most curbside programs because it can mess up their machines. When, when it feeds through, it can get clogged up. But almost every grocery store I think I've ever entered has a, a spot, you know, for, for you to return bags and they recycle them. And you put um, saran wrap in, in with those bags? You, you typically can, yes. And oh, you can look okay. at your saran wrap box. Most yeah. saran wrap box, most of them will have the symbol and let you know. And then the last is number five. Um, sadly, we cannot take number fives um, at this time. We're hoping that Eastman will expand to number five at some point. But for now, we cannot. But that is your to-go cups is a big one. You know, McDonald's or, you know, Arby's or those type of uh, fast food to-go cups are number fives. And most of your dairy, um, like a sour cream container, yogurt containers, most of those are number fives. So we we also cannot um, take those. That That's kind of... Uh, a, sticking point sometimes, you know, thankfully we have, you know, a gentleman who uh, sorts materials in our warehouse and, you know, can pull those out. But, you know, we do try to train our our customers to, uh, you know, leave those out of the recycle bin. My guest today is Tasha Foy. She is with the company Revolution Curbside Recycling. And you can find that at her website, revolutioncurbsiderecycling.com, and you can find more information. This is so hopeful to have this conversation because, as I was not joking earlier, if we don't do something more about this, it's like everything's horrible and we're all going to die. So, Tasha, let's talk a little bit more about just how serious this situation is. There is a term called plastic pollution. And I have plastic depression. When I use plastic, every every container I have, I imagine it going into my backyard. And it kind of visualizes the seriousness of the problem. If I had to keep all the plastic that I use, but except for companies like you, I don't have any choice. Statistics right. say that we have, that we use, that I use 270 pounds of plastic a year. And worse than that, with all this plastic in our world, we wind up eating it, breathing it and drinking it. So you are like a, or a finger in the dam of this problem. A very small finger and a very big dam. Yes. So we, you know, one of the things that we really try to, to, preach, I hate to use that term, but is the reduce part is really important in the reduce, reuse, recycle. 
you know, recycling is last in that phrase, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. And so while obviously we recycle and that that is that, that is our business and that is what we feel really strongly about, it's last. So the reduce and reuse has to become more important to people, right? It has to become something that we each individually think about before we make a decision every time. You know, am I going to buy this? Yes, there's the question. Do I have a better option? That whole daggone aisle of laundry detergent and those huge right. plastic containers, and you try to look for something that's not in one of those plastic containers, they're there maybe in one little six-inch Tiny little section. So, um, and actually, we switched a couple of years ago to the uh, laundry sheets. Yeah, but they're um, not in, the, I, I tried that. You have to order They're not online. in stores. You not have to order stores. it online. So, so uh, you know, that's that's one of the probably more complicated things, right, is you, especially for folks who maybe don't have access or um, don't have extra funds because it is a little more expensive. But I actually think that, that it works really well. I, okay, you know, I'm a, I'm give us the fan. insight. What's the company? Where do we go? There is this website called Grove Collaborative. So now we're uh, we're going to give them a shout out. Um, <laughs> so they have a whole website of sustainable options and you can get your laundry on there. But again, it's shipping. It's a, you know, a little more costly. It'd be fantastic if you could just run to Walmart. But so so far it's it's going to take people though. You know, the the people have to drive the change. Um, you know, the big corporations are not going to drive the change. Is this correct? Big corporations, big money, big influence over politicians. And so the government can't do anything about it. And it just leaves it up. Regulation. There's no regulation on this right. stuff. Put this pollution in the air, in the water, whatever. So it's it on our little shoulders. Yes. So um, but we're powerful, right? The, the consumer is it holds the power. We just have to take it. So, and I, I mean, I believe that. I believe the consumer holds the power. We just have to wield it, right? We can't, we can't just take what's handed to us and accept it. The majority of the world is going to just take what's handed to them and accept it. Um, that's not my style. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it just, it takes, it'll take a long time probably. Um, I know there are some states who have, have, started to ban single-use plastic in some areas. I know like the single-use bags and things. Um, I know there's a lot of companies, a lot of businesses who charge you for those now, which will start to sway the consumer to bring their own bags. And, you know, so it's going to be baby steps and probably baby steps for a very, you know, a decade or more. But the other, I guess for me, I have kids, um, it, it's educating them, right? You, you raise them in a way that they don't use um, the single use. My kids, I, you could, I, I don't know the last time I saw them use a plastic water bottle, right? Because all the kids and all the you know teenagers and young adults, they all carry their whatever trendy water bottle. You know, that's great. I'm happy to buy them a $60 water bottle if that means they don't use single-use plastics. So the younger generation is going to save us all, I'm convinced, um, because they're just so much smarter than I feel like we were in our teens, you know? Well, you're so optimistic, but this is something that I can't even ask the question clearly, not unusual for me, but when you buy plastic, 
there are sometimes notes that it has no P something something in it. Uh, like BPA. Yeah. Um, that. What is all that about? So, you know, I'll be honest. I said earlier, I'm not much of a scientist. I, I don't really understand some of, some of those little details, but I, I do know that the BPA things with BPA are, are usually number seven and they can't be recycled. I do know that. <laughs> um, I do know that there's something in it that leaches um, out into your food or water. So it, I don't even think it's allowed now to be used for food or beverage I'm, I'm actually i don't know if it's required that or prohibited but at least it's become part of the conscious the conversation for- i feel like the fda ha- has put something out at this point you know that with some uh regulations like a, a parts or something that that's given them a little bit um but yeah we you know like we really focus on trying to use like glass or um like stainless steel, you know, I'm trying to, I don't even know what my daughter's Stanley is made of. I think it's stainless steel, but you know, we're, we're big fans of, I reuse glass jars, you know, from things I'll reuse them dozens of times, (laughs) Um, you know, to store my leftovers or reheat things, you know, you can eliminate a lot of plastic. If, If it's something that does not say it has no BPA, then I wouldn't trust it. If it's a number three or a number seven, I wouldn't trust it. So we assume that if we're drinking out of those little flimsy plastic bottles that we're sucking in, I don't know, some kind of plastic. Who knows what? Um, I do know that that the, the BPA is only in a three or a seven. So if your beverage or your food is packaged in a one, a two or a five, which is what most food things are, then those do not have the BPA. But if it's a three or a seven, I would be cautious. <laughs> I want to go back uh, to just a little more detail about your business. Again, sure. that's Revolution Curbside Recycling. And one of the frequently asked questions, and you have addressed this, is where your recycling goes. But I saw an expression when I was looking for information about plastics and recycling. It, the expression is wish cycling. And yes. I think that people tend to wish cycle Yes. Which means a problem for you, right? Yes, which is why we employ someone to sort through all the bags. Because wish cycling um, is when, well, simply we say we can recycle number one and number two. But people go, oh, well, I don't know. This plastic fork doesn't have a number on it. So I'll just throw it in there in hopes that it can be recycled. Um, that's wish cycling. It happens a lot. <laughs> it happens a whole lot. And it's really a challenge um, in, so like we do recycling for Rhythm and Roots in Bristol. Um, So Ray for you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've been doing that for more than 10 years, but they have a great committee, um, like a green team committee that meets all year round and works on like new initiatives. And so our company, you know, we work on that committee and then we also obviously collect all the materials during the event. Um, that is probably one of our biggest challenges at events like that is wish cycling. Um, folks are not going to, you know, not going to take the time in the middle of an event like that to, to figure out if their, their item is recyclable or not. It simply, is it plastic? Sure. And so we've, we've, you know, gotten creative over the years and made little, you know, kind of signs with fun sayings and things that might catch people's attention you know, to to let folks know some of the things that aren't recyclable, like the plastic utensils, because that's probably one of the most common things 
that gets thrown in that cannot be recycled. Um, it's small, it's easy. You think, oh yeah, maybe. So, you know, things like that. We, you know, paper towels and napkins, you know, things like that. Those can't go in with the regular paper, um, typically because they're soiled. And if they're soiled with grease and oils, then it can't be recycled. See, that was a question I wanted to ask you because it says on your website that when your recyclables get picked up, that they need to be clean. So right. how clean and how serious? And when you're doing rhythm and roots, you're going to have stuff that's not clean. So what happens mm-hmm. when you get stuff that's not clean? Well, some of it we have to pick out and some of it we can clean ourselves. Um, it just depends on the, you know, what it is. Um, but, you know, I think pizza boxes has been a debate for years, right? Can you recycle the pizza box? If it's grease soaked, you can't. Um, so what we, you know, tell folks to do is rip the top off right? We can still recycle the top. It, it wasn't sitting in, you know, it's not been mm-hmm. soaked with grease. But unfortunately, the other part just has to go you know, in the trash or you do what I do and you save it for your fire pit. <laughs> so there are some ways around at things going in the landfill, even, uh, even if you can't recycle them, uh, especially with paper um, and cardboard. You know, with the, the wish cycling, um, we do just have to sort. You know, we just have to kind of kind of pick through and, and make sure we pull the things that aren't going to work. So if it's you know, dirty, it might just have to get tossed, depending. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. But again, you you know, fire pit, things like that. You know, you can get creative a little bit, uh, depending on what kind of dirty we're talking about. And, you know, we've had people ask about diapers. You know, that is definitely not recyclable. If there is any body waste involved, we... Uh, we do not want that. <laughs> Absolutely. That becomes unsafe. So Tasha, uh, a little bit more about your business. I know that you are looking for drivers. I don't are you looking for other employees? So not really. Um so it's we've we've been in this rock and a hard place, right? For a little while. We are, you know, really close to what we would be comfortable with as our um, you know, kind of max capacity for one truck, one driver. But there's there's a fine line for growth, right? With a small business, because <laughs> we are small. I mean, this is, you know, my husband does 75% of the work. Um, you know, I'm I'm around for the uh, paperwork and uh, uh, things, fun stuff like this. And then we have the the one part time you know person who sorts. So as people ask us, you know, about expanding into new areas, Damascus, Emory, etc., you know, that's where you know we look for independent drivers. Um, that basically would be an independent contractor that could run a route. You know, that would be their route, essentially, almost like a newspaper delivery, you know, route. You mentioned on your website that that would be a good thing for a retiree or a college student. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a side gig for sure. It's not, it, you know, it, it would be a while before it turned into, you know, full-time hours, full-time pay. But for for a side gig, you know, you could spend three or four hours, um, you know, once or twice a week. As you got started, it could even be once or twice a month because we run on a bi-weekly schedule. Um, but, you know, if you had, uh, you know, 20, 30 customers in an area, you know, you could uh, make a decent little amount for a side gig. And obviously you get to write some stuff off when you're an independent contractor with it, which is nice. So there's some, op- you know, opportunities. So you have a wait list on your website. Yes. How, how far are you away from adding a new location? 
right now our wait list kind of focuses on three areas um, and it's just areas that people have reached out to me you know and, and have said we want you know we want recycling and we just don't have enough to you know to make it financially make sense that the three areas that I feel like kind of have the best um, chances anytime soon um, would be the the glade slash emory area uh, Damascus and Lebanon Virginia all right, yes. so anybody who's listening to this show in Glade Spring or Emory, please, for my sake, for my selfish <laughs> interest, and for the sake of the planet, go to revolutioncurbsiderecycling.com and put your name on the wait list, and maybe we could get some service in, uh, to this area for recycling. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's basically, you know, what it, you know, kind of what it boils down to is once we get enough people in an area to create a route, um, you know, then we'll be able to do that. All right. RevolutionCurbsideRecycling.com. Where did you get your passion for recycling? You know, um, I grew up recycling um, back, back in the day. Um, Bristol had curbside when I was a kid growing up and, you know, so this would have been like late eighties, early nineties ish. Um, and we had recycling. And so I always grew up recycling. And then when I, um, you know, grew up and got a real job, um, I worked for a company over in Abingdon called Universal Companies and it's a spa company. I don't know if you're familiar with yes, it. Yes, I am. Okay. So I was in sales, um, and some marketing. For them worked there for i think about 12 years loved it one of one of the you know coolest places i've ever worked it was a really neat um neat place to be um but you know it's spa business right so it was very very you know very, just we learned a lot about you know environment and holistic things and as i went to trade shows and got to travel um you know i got to sit in on different seminars about sustainability and, you know, just got really interested in it. And it just kind of became something that, you know, grew in importance to me, you know, over the years. And um, I think when I had kids, it kind of became even more important because we, you know, we're going to leave them with something, right? I want it to be good. So I, I think just over, you know, through through my 20s there in, the, in those years, um, I just became more interested in it and having the opportunity to, you know, attend some of those uh, events that really focused on sustainability through the spa industry got me more interested in the sustainability industry. Well, Tasha Foy, I am so grateful to you for what you're doing in principle. And in reality, I sure hope we can get your services to Emory sometime soon. And it's no joke that this is a serious health, environmental, economic crisis looming over us if we don't do something about it. So let's close out the interview with your making your best appeal to people about what they should do about recycling. Oh gosh, I always hate feeling like I'm selling. Um, <laughs> so I don't think you have to sell though here. I think, you know, what what I what I just said um, is kind of my best appeal is what we do now is what we leave for our future generations. And we we got to make the right call. We got to make good decisions. Um, we've got to reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, we have to do the right things politically, right? To push to push people in the right direction. We need to make good choices about where we shop and how we shop. You know, it's baby steps are fine, but make a step. Um, you know, take the step. Uh, so that that's kind of it's kind of my philosophy on it. <laughs> that's a beautiful a beautiful way to end it. Take a step. 
Tasha Foy, Revolution Curbside Recycling, coming to a curbside near you, hopefully, <laughs> sometime soon, especially to me and my curbside. <laughs> so it's wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for what you're doing. And thanks to the listeners for tuning in to this conversation here on WEHC 90.7, Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. And you can find our podcast by searching WEHC This Conversation. Thanks again. See you next time.